energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers has the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. With the Red Sox out west, we have a full show all 90 minutes. We have a full show all 90 minutes every single day this week. Cannot wait to be with you every single day up until 7 o'clock. Sox baseball is on tonight. 8.38 pregame show, 9.38 first pitch, taking on the Los Angeles Angels. You can get on in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. All 90 minutes, it won't all be spent on the Celtics, but we need a lot of that 90 minutes to talk about what's happened. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes. Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston, our favorite Celtics insider, is going to be with us about 610. I have a feeling I'm going to go a little long with Adam today because there's a lot to get to here. I mean, the, the Celtics right now are a loaded topic. So they're down 3 nothing in the series. Their backs are against the wall. They've effectively lost the series already. They quit yesterday. Let's just get right to it. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. All right, the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally-owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to start with this, and I hope I convey this point correctly. 802-585-3026. I am not sure if Joe Missoula is the right guy for the Boston Celtics. I am not sure if he is. But that said, I am also I am also positive that he is not the only thing wrong in this series. I am also positive he is not the biggest thing wrong with this series. I do not follow the intricacies of NBA coaching enough to tell you that he is a good coach, right? I can't tell you that he is a good coach, a great coach, an average coach, or I can't tell you that. I'll be as transparent as I can, but I am positive that he is not the biggest thing wrong with this team, if that makes sense. Can we complain that Joe Mazzulla's team has become more offensively than defensively minded? Yes, we can. That would be a fair complaint. Can we complain about this starting lineup or about this rotation or this guy's minutes? And yeah, Sure, we can that's all fair. That's all inbounds, and all of it might be true. But at the end of the day, Joe Missoula doesn't go one for 14 from three like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum did last night. Joe Missoula doesn't talk trash to Jimmy Butler, get in his grill in game two, ignite him so Butler closes the game in Jordan-esque fashion, and you're down 2 nothing. 
Joe Missoula's not out on the floor getting pummeled and quitting last night. You know what I mean. I see everybody today taking shots at Joe Missoula. And I mean everybody. Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports Radio says he needs to be fired. Jay Williams of ESPN Radio says he might need to be fired. Brian Windhorst of ESPN Radio says I think he I think there's a chance he will be fired. Everybody's blaming this on Missoula. Oh, he's out he's out coached. He's not qualified. He's overmatched. Spolster's got his number. And maybe, maybe that stuff is true. It might be, but you can't have that be the first thing that you point to. You can't have him be the first thing that you point to. I, it's just, I refuse to believe that. The NBA is a player's, you do not get to have it both ways. In the NFL, we know it is a quarterback and coach-driven league, right? We know that. The head coach and your quarterback, they mean everything. In the NBA, I am told constantly that coaching doesn't really matter that much. It's a players-driven league. It is a star-driven league. Phil Jackson, anybody could have won with Jordan and Scotty. Anybody could have won with Shaq and Kobe. Anybody can win with LeBron. Anybody can win with Steph. Steve Kerr's not that great. I hear it all the time. Coaching isn't that important in the NBA. You can't have it both ways. If it's a players-driven league and the coach deserves no credit, then it's a players-driven league and the coach doesn't get all the blame. The Celtics have two, not one, but two all-NBA players. And they have more turnovers than assists in this series. The Celtics have multiple veteran players. This is not a team full of 20-year-olds. This is not a team that's never been there. This is not a team like the Sacramento Kings. They had never been there. Some immaturity, the inability to hold a 2-0 series lead against Golden State, that's somewhat predictable and definitely understood. That's not the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum have been to three conference finals together. Marcus Smart has been to four. I believe Brown has been to four as well. They've all been to the finals. Al Horford is a decades-long veteran in the NBA. If it's a players-driven league all season and the coach gets no credit, that it's a players-driven league still in the postseason and the coach doesn't get all the blame. I am not here to defend Joe Missoula. I'm not here to tell you that he is the best coach in the league, but I am here to say that if you're just scapegoating Joe Missoula, you're doing it wrong. I mean, I heard Cowherd say he's got to be fired. I also heard Cowherd earlier today say the Celtics need to admit they, quote, hired the wrong guy. Really? I would like, like, this was not a, this is what frustrates me. People act like, like Coward, like the Celtics went through a normal hiring process and came out the other end with Joe Missoula, and they need to atone for that mistake. They didn't go through a normal hiring process. Joe Missoula was what was there. He was what was available. Look, I mean, do people not remember Back in September, two weeks until training camp, or or maybe it was even day, it was days before training camp. It was a week and a half before the preseason started. 
days before training camp, Ime Udoka gets suspended, commits improprieties. This is to- this totally blindsides you from what ha- you know what happened. Totally blindsides you, and as a result, you've got to pivot and you've got to pivot quickly. Okay, Will Hardy, a top assistant for the Celtics, he had already left. He was in Utah. He took the head job there. Okay, he's not an option. Joe Missoula was. So don't act like, oh, the Celtics chose the wrong guy. The Celtics, maybe he is the wrong guy, but he was thrust upon them. It was not a normal hiring, a normal hiring process. The Celtics did what most businesses do, promote from within, promote familiarity, bring up a guy who's got familiarity with the employees and with the management. Could they have hired Jeff Van Gundy? Sure. Could they have hired Mark Jackson? Sure. Could they have hired Quinn Snyder? Sure. Those all would have been options, and we all would have crushed them for bringing in somebody outside the family probably, and in Jackson and Van Gundy's case, someone who hadn't coached for a decade or more. You don't have to like Joe Missoula. You can want Joe Missoula fired, but don't act like it's all his fault. It's not. And don't act like the Celtics chose him out of a pool of normal candidates. They didn't. They did not choose him out of a normal group of candidates. If they fire Joe Missoula after the series, they're going to have Mike Budenholzer to choose from. They're going to have Nick Nurse to choose from. They're going to have NBA championship coaches to choose from. And that will be different. And you can get somebody arguably better than Joe Mazzulla if you choose to go in that direction. But it is not all his fault. It is a player's league all year long. It is not, not a player's league just because it's the playoffs. At some point... The players need to be held responsible for what's happening as well. Missoula's not one for 14 from three last night, like Tatum and Brown were. Missoula's not turning it over in the fourth quarter, dribbling into a crowd like Tatum has been in these playoffs. Missoula doesn't look disconnected like Jalen Brown does. Missoula's not out putting up offers like Malcolm Brogdon is. You don't have to think he's the answer. But you have to admit that he's not the only problem with this team. He's also not the biggest problem. And thankfully, Al Horford recognizes it because Missoula last night took the responsibility and said, hey, this is all my fault, basically. Al Horford at least sees what's what. Coach coach is saying that he's being generous, but at the end of the day, that falls uh, on, on each player. We know what we have to do. Uh, we knew the magnitude of this game. And... Um, as a player, I take responsibility because you know we, we didn't we didn't have what we needed to have. So that, that's what that is. Al Horford is right there. It is not all Joe Missoula's fault. The pl- I've said this analogy probably three times in the last two weeks, and it remains true today. This is not ten-year-old baseball. This is not twelve-year-olds AAU. Okay, though that age. High school even, the coach can motivate, right? The coach's job is to get you ready to play. The coach's job is ready is to is to motivate you and light a fire within you and find out what buttons to press. That's true. It's not the case at high-level college, and it's not the case in the NBA. These players need to be able to motivate themselves, and that's the bottom line. I believe that Joe Mazzulla and his staff 
had a game plan that was articulately done, perfectly laid out. Was it going to work? I don't know. But I believe they did what they could to get ready. And the players have absolutely let everyone down around them. They're disengaged. They're not attentive. They're careless at times. They're not playing well. Uh, Will in Plattsburgh says, can't throw this on Joe. Players have to be accountable for themselves. I agree. Virginia in Starksboro says, I'd ship out Jalen Brown before Joe Missoula. That is a very interesting point. We are going to talk about that. Adam Kaufman's going to be with us about 6'10. We're going to ask him something to that, uh, something of that nature. Peter and Williston says Monty Williams is my choice if Missoula gets fired. I think Missoula deserves another year, especially if Brown is traded. I, I will say this. I, I, I kind of agree with, with what Peter just said. Kind of a preview of my talk with Adam. I agree with what Peter just said. This t- this team cannot just be brought back. And I have waffled on this a lot, and I recognize that. And I don't want to be a fence-sitter, and I don't want to be a guy who tells you one thing on Monday and changes his mind on Tuesday. The Celtics are causing me to do this. Based on what has happened in this series, I do not believe this team can just be brought back as presently constructed. Hey, let's just run it back. So- something is going to have to change. And that something can be keep all the players and get rid of Joe Missoula and bring in a Monty Williams or a Mike Budenholzer or a Nick Nurse. Two of those three are championship-winning coaches. That can be your change. Or your change can be bring back Missoula, but you're going to make some changes to the personnel on the roster. I can justify both. And I'm telling you right now, at this point, I kind of tend to lean towards changing up the roster. And I I didn't say that last week, and I don't think I would have ever said that six months ago. But it appears to me like this core, does it need to be blown up? No, it's too good to just blow up. But does it need tweaking? Yeah, it appears that it does. I have told you forever I was worried about Jalen Brown. When we found out that he was eligible for the Supermax and the most money was going to come to Boston, I thought that was going to keep him in Boston. I no longer know. Honestly, nothing at this point would surprise me with Jalen Brown. Do the Celtics not offer him the Supermax and he just hits free agency? Unlikely, but possible. They may be tired of him. Does Jalen Brown turn down $295 million offer? He'd be the first player to turn down a Supermax. Unlikely, but it could happen. Does Jalen Brown go to Brad Stevens' office? And I'm going to ask Adam this and say, hey, execute a sign and trade. I want my money, but I want out too. Could that happen? Maybe. I, I no longer know, but something tells me that something has to change. The Boston Bruins last year, were a really good team with a really established core, or rather, they were a veteran team with an established core, and they elected to move on from Bruce Cassidy. Right? They elected to move on from Bruce Cassidy. They kept the core together, right? The Taylor Hall, the David Posternock, the Brad Marchand, the Patrice Bergeron. They kept the core together. They moved on from the coach. It certainly paid huge dividends in the regular season this year, a historic regular season. 
The Celtics, to me, I think they got to go the opposite direction right now. That's where I'm leaning today. That if they're going to change out something, I'd rather see them change out the players. And I never thought I would say that. Again, I don't know that Missoula is the answer. I, I don't know that. But I'm feeling like he's less of the problem than a lot of other people think he is. I think the players right now are the issue. They're certainly the biggest issue to me in this series. They're certainly the biggest issue to me in this series. I like what Will said about the players having to be accountable. Right now, they're not. Tatum hasn't looked good. Um, Tatum hasn't looked good. Brown hasn't looked good. Horford has looked terrible. I mean, there have been some good things, but by and large, it's it's not a uh, it has not been a good situation. Ralph says they certainly don't have the drive and look of a championship team. No, they don't. La- yesterday they quit. Yesterday they quit. They they there, there's no doubt, right? Like they they gave up yesterday. I don't know if they gave up in the first quarter or they gave up right at the start of the third, but bottom line is they gave up. They got punched in the mouth and refused to fight back. They just started trying. They were down 30. They tried to get all 30 back in one shot. Nothing but jacked up threes. That that was their plan most of the second half. Didn't matter who it was, right? Smart, Brown, Tatum, just everybody shoot as many threes as possible. Early in the shot clock, five feet behind the line, didn't matter. They gave up. They did what we accused Philly of doing in the first round of the uh, of the semifinal round. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, again with us about 610 here on DEV. I do want to get into something on the Red Sox today, though. Red Sox beat the Padres two out of three. It was a good weekend overall. But I have one big looming question about the Red Sox roster. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball tonight. Sox taking on the Angels this game in Anaheim. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout and company uh, against the Sox. Tanner Houck pitching in this one against Jaime Berea. Certainly a game in which I would think the Red Sox can hit. The Angels have a formidable offense as well, at least in the middle of the lineup. So they might get to Houck too. But I think the Red Sox would have the advantage here in this one from the hitter versus pitcher matchup. 9.38 first pitch, 8.38 with the pregame show. Sox are going to miss Otani in this series on the mound, which is always good news as well. He pitched yesterday, so they won't have to deal with him uh, on the rubber. It was a very good weekend in San Diego, right? Paxton pitched well. Sale pitched well. Paxton goes six innings. Sale goes seven innings. They both go over 100 pitches. We're going to get to that in a minute, but that you know that all that their performances is good news, are good news, and is encouraging. The Red Sox need to find something to do with Corey Kluber, and I think a lot of you are feeling this as well. Corey Kluber does not belong in the starting rotation right now. Corey Kluber, I believe, after his next start is going to land on the injured list with some kind of phantom injury. I think I think Corey Kluber is about to develop some kind of phantom elbow or shoulder issue and is going to end up on the injured list. It feels like the best thing for everybody involved. Corey Kluber at this point is not helping the Boston Red Sox. 
He went two and a third innings yesterday, stressed the bullpen. He didn't make it out of the fifth. Eh, maybe he did get through five, but he got pummeled against the uh, Cardinals on Sunday Night Baseball. He's got an ERA of over six. Corey Kluber has had a phenomenal career. He's a multi-time Cy Young winner. He's a multi-time All-Star. He has had a great career. Corey Kluber right now is washed up. Now, some of you want him DFA'd. Some of you want him sent to the minors. I'm not doing – number one, he won't go to the minors, so that doesn't matter. Two, I'm not DFAing him either. I still believe in, in depth. You still have a lot of questions in your rotation. I would keep him in the organization, but I would find an injury to make up and put him on the uh, put him on the shelf because right now all he's doing is hurting the team. When we thought the Red Sox were going to be bad, it would have been okay to allow a guy out there every five days to eat up innings and, and save your young guys and save your bullpen, and, hey, you're going to go five, but you're going to give up six runs every game. That would have been more okay. You are in this thing now. The Red Sox are very much in the thick of playoff conversation. The Rays are coming back to the pack. The Blue Jays have really struggled. You're out of the cellar, so the division is likely not in play, but it's not so far out of play that you have to punt it yet. And the wild card race, you're going to be in it with your division. You're going to be in it with the Angels. You're going to be in it with Houston. You're going to be in it with Texas. You're going to be in it with Seattle. You are in it. If you are going, and if you're going to be in it, you need your best pieces out there, and Corey Kluber isn't that. He's just not that. He has had a great career. For right now, it looks like it's over. Sale has injury concerns. Paxton has injury concerns. Whitlock has injury concerns. Bayo has innings limit concerns. So you have enough questions in your rotation that I would keep Kluber around, but I would not have him taking the ball every fifth or sixth day right now. I mean, what we saw on Sunday against the Padres was absolute. It was ugly. I mean, it was 86 to 88 miles an hour. Couldn't throw strikes. Three walks. Walked in a run. That's no good. A team that is trying to win, and I believe the Red Sox are, and a team that's in a position to win, and I believe the Red Sox are now, which is different than we thought. If you're that... You can't have what we saw on Sunday. You can't have what we saw on Sunday Night Baseball the week prior against the St. Louis Cardinals. He was bad on opening day against Baltimore, and he's been bad a lot of the season. ERA over 6, 6.3 almost. Okay, This team's already moved Nick Pavetta to the bullpen. Garrett Whitlock is coming back this week. When Whitlock comes back, I'd be wanting to, to and you go back to a five-man rotation, I'd be wanting Kluber out of it. And that feels right to me. Again, he's not going to the minors. He's not. I, he, I don't believe he should be DFA'd, but I also believe he shouldn't be getting the ball every fifth day. This team is too good to be punting his starts and hurting the bullpen. I mean, they have a, a new series starting today, and multiple guys had to, cl had to clean up six-plus innings yesterday. You cannot have that. I know he's a veteran. I know the team likes him. I know the team values him, but he's not doing he's not helping the team and he's not I'm sure he's not having any fun. I'm sure he wouldn't mind a mental reset on the injured list. When Whitlock comes back, 
I'd roll with Whitlock, with Hauk, with Bayo, with Paxson, with Sale, and that's it. You've got Pavetta still as depth. You've got Cutter Crawford potentially as depth, and you'd have Kluber as depth. But right now, I don't need that depth, and I don't need Corey Kluber doing what he did. The other thing that surprised me from the Red Sox over the weekend and their pitching was how aggressive Alex Cora was with Chris Sale and with James Paxton. On Friday night, Paxton got over 100 pitches, just his second start back from really barely pitching in three years. On Saturday, Sale comes back out and goes the seventh inning, throws 110-plus, I think it was 111. First time he's thrown back-to-back 110-plus outings since 2017. Alex Cora was surprisingly aggressive. And I get it, to get guys over the hump, you have to allow them to meet new challenges. It felt a little quick for me. They did have the extra day because it was a six-man rotation. They had a full week in between starts. I'm sure that factored into it. But I would have handled especially Paxton with more kid gloves. I am surprised that Alex Cora let them go out. Paxton for the sixth, over 100 pitches. Sale for the seventh, over 110. Again, it's a balancing act between keeping him safe and allowing him to push through things. I think with Paxton especially, I would have been a little more judicious in how I handled things. With Sale, back-to-back starts, I also still would have been a little more judicious. It felt unnecessary, and it felt like an unnecessary risk. I'm not saying pull guys at 85 pitches, but when a guy in Paxton's case has barely pitched in three years, running him out there for over 100, having him sit up you know, one more time and go out and throw warm-up pitches one more time, it, it didn't feel necessary. It didn't feel necessary. But on the Red Sox front, yeah, Kluber... I think he's destined for an IL trip. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll get to a text from Peter and Williston. We'll talk about the great weekend of Michael Block as well after the CBS News update. That's next. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, brought to you by Fecta Homes. About five minutes or so away from Adam Kaufman joining us, our favorite Celtics insider over at WBZ News Radio in Boston and also the host of the Celtics Beat podcast. Um, all right, text line open, 802-585-3026. Will in Plattsburgh back again. He says, it's not just the Celtics are losing, but it's how they've lost. Lack of effort. They don't deserve to win. Where is Tatum? Where is everybody, really? I mean, and it's interesting because everybody can point to Grant Williams and, and Friday night and poking the bear and Jimmy Butler and all that. At least Grant Williams had some fight. At least Grant Williams had some heart. Now, you can you can argue that it was misplaced, that it was misguided. you got to let sleeping dogs lie. I would have that discussion with you. But at least Grant Williams showed something, right? Most of the rest of the series, the Celtics haven't showed anything. First half of Game 1, they were great. First half of Game 1, they were great. They came out listless in the second half. They came out listless in the second half yesterday. They were listless in the fourth quarter on Friday. They have not put together, clearly, a full 48 minutes yet. It was the thing we asked them to do on Friday before we left. They haven't done it. Um, Texter says, on the Red Sox, with chances of Red Sox being in uh, contention, 
Do you think that the Red Sox ought to trade for Otani and just go for it with him? No. I, well, I mean, one, I don't think the Red Sox are good enough to win the World Series. I don't. They, they are good enough to be in the playoffs. That would be an accomplishment given where we thought they were. They're not good enough to win the World Series. If you're not good enough to win the World Series, you don't go after Otani. I don't think they're one Otani away from the World Series either. I just, I don't. Maybe on July 10th, I'll feel differently about it. I also don't think the Red Sox have what it takes to get Otani, right? Like, they've worked so hard to build up the farm system, and I know you can't hoard these guys forever, but, like, unless you're giving up Marcelo Meyer and every other top prospect you have, I don't think you have what it takes to get Otani, and I'm not saying it's not worth it, but it's probably not something I would do if you're not going to win the World Series. And then, I don't think the Angels are going to trade Otani right now because right now they're in it. Like, they're in it as well. So, I don't think their motivation is that high to trade Otani at this point. Uh, Texter says, the Michael Block story is going to be a great book and a great movie. I, I got to tell you, I was riveted yesterday by all of the PGA Championship. I am not someone who watches a lot of golf. I like to play golf. I do not like to watch golf. Right, I will watch the majors. I will watch on Sunday if it's close. I will watch Saturday a little bit, but that's really it for me. I loved what I saw yesterday on a couple of different fronts. Yesterday had something for everybody. Yesterday at the PGA Championship is the reason that we love sports, are the reasons that we love sports. Right, The old quote is, how can you not be romantic about baseball? How could you not be romantic about what you saw yesterday? Michael Block, who I get it, he's a PGA, you know, a, a club pro. He certainly is around the game. He has access to the game. But by and large, he felt like you and me. He doesn't get to play it professionally. He doesn't play it every weekend. He doesn't play in tournaments all around the world. He certainly doesn't play with, with players the caliber of the players he played with over the course of the last four days. He felt like he was representing the everyman, right? The everyman isn't really represented in the NBA, the everyman isn't really represented in Major League Baseball. The everyman isn't really represented in hockey. The everyman can be represented in golf, and it was this weekend in the form of Michael Block. who shot, who Look, he beat the entire U.S. Ryder Cup team. Xander Shoffley, he beat him. Jordan Spieth, he beat him. Guys who have won majors, guys who are supposed to win majors, Michael Block beat him. Michael Block played with Rory McIlroy and finished just two strokes behind him for the tournament, I believe. Hit a hole-in-one on 15. It's incredible what he did. Not only that he made the tournament, not only that he made the cut, but that he got to play, I believe, with Jason Day, if I'm remembering correctly, on Saturday, but definitely Rory on Sunday. And he's, you know, in it enough to be interesting. And he plays on 15. And now the story's gotten better, right? He finishes tied for 15th. He gets automatically back next year because of it. He's stolen the golf world's kind of hearts, and he got invited to multiple other PGA events this year because now people just want him at their tournament. Like, this is, this is great. His son sending the picture into CBS or sending the video to CBS of his home club in California saying, like, this is the best moment of my life. Like, how are you not – if you weren't tearing up, at that, you've got to be the Grinch. I was tearing up watching Michael Block tear up. 
Like, that's why we love sports. The idea of the lovable underdog, the idea that anybody can win, the idea that anybody can be there. It was great. Texter says McElroy's reaction to the hole-in-one was priceless, even if it was an expletive. Yeah, it was. And the idea, too, like, Rory McElroy has done almost everything he can do, right? Rory McElroy has won majors, played with Tiger Woods, been ranked a top player in the world, played with all the other top players in the world. And Rory McElroy was even falling in love with the Michael Block story. The idea that the superstar is is worshiping the everyman, if even just for a day, if even just for a whole, that's romantic stuff. And then the Kepka story, that's why we love sports too, because whatever side of this you're on, Kepka plays the things that we love. If you are somebody that hates live golfers and wants everybody on the live tour banished, you know, into the sun, then you had a great villain in Brooks Kepka. Right? Brooks Kepka the villain, representing live, the tour that you hate, the tour that's undoing everything that's great about golf. If you're somebody who just likes comeback stories, then Kepka was for you too. A guy who was out of it mentally, a guy who was out of it physically, a guy who we never were sure if he was going to get back there, him continuing his reascension, his reassimilation, that was that was the storyline also. I don't know what side of the Kepka and Liv debate you're on, but whatever side you were on, it was great. He's either the biggest villain or he's the great comeback story on the heels of the Michael Block story, the great story of perseverance. I'm happy for Kepka. I don't I don't love like I don't have hatred for the live guys like a lot of you do. Part of it is because I just don't like golf watching it professionally like a lot of you do. I would probably feel very different if this were basketball or this were baseball or this were football or this were hockey. I might feel very, very different, but I don't have a strong opinion towards the live guys because I'm not watching golf anyway, so it's not like these guys are missing from the tournaments I care about. They all play the majors. That's what matters to me. But I like Kepka. He seems like a likable guy. He seems like a fun guy. He's hanging out with the guys on Barstool. He seems a little more relatable than some of the other stuffiness that goes on on the PGA Tour. So I'm happy for Kepka. Texter says, good point. Uh, about Kepka, his career could have been ruined by injury in addition to the ire he's drawn from Liv. I'm sure some people absolutely think that Kepka was a villain. But villains, that plays well too. That plays well too. You know what's not playing well? The Boston Celtics. Celtics down three games to none now in the Eastern Conference Finals. Their season feels effectively over. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, is with us now. Adam I'd ask how you're doing, but you're probably doing a lot like I am doing, dejected and despondent, but appreciate you making time for us. What's going on, my man? Welcome back. So I just want to be abundantly clear so your listeners understand kind of how this works. You're here. You're doing this because you are paid to do so, obviously. I'm here not because this is a subject matter I want to discuss by <laughs> any, because I am not paid to be here with you right now. I am here because I like you. I am here because I enjoy your program. I am here to, you know, help. Maybe maybe this can be like therapy for the two of yeah. us as it relates to what's going on with the Celtics. But it is not because, you know, the, like this is an enjoyable subject matter at this moment. 
certainly not. Celtics are down 3-0. Nobody's ever come back from 3-0 down in the NBA. We know what's happened in other sports. It has never happened in the NBA. And let me just ask you an overarching question. What part of this beatdown is most disappointing to you? I would say, I, I guess to answer that in a in a, a grander sort of way, it's that they have not largely, the Celtics, shown up for this series. That is the disappointing part. It's because I, I think most people can agree, even with the three games that we've watched so far, the Celtics are the better team they are the more talented team they are the deeper team but what they are not very clearly is the more composed and mentally tough team and the team that seems to have any urgency or appreciation for the moment i mean if if you know for the gamblers out there you know vegas had boston as overwhelming favorites going into this series even down 02 it was still basically even money for Boston yeah. to come back and win this series. Game four now in Miami is the first game that Boston is even an underdog for this series, and it's like a point and a half. The respect for this Celtics team or disrespect for the Heat team or somewhere in the middle, I don't know, is jarring from a Vegas standpoint, but I think a lot of that extends to just national media or local media i can't tell you the number of people that i heard going in saying this is going to be a sweep or this is going to be a gentleman sweep and yeah there's jimmy butler on the other side but what does he have around him and i just you know for anyone that does listen to my podcast we warned you like go, you know i i for months truly for months i have been saying i don't want to see miami in the playoffs when they were in the play-in tournament against atlanta i said i hope the hawks win i don't want to see miami in the first round I don't want to see Miami get by Milwaukee. I don't want to see Miami get by the Knicks, even though I thought they would. I don't want to see it. And then going into this series, I just, some of it maybe was was even a, at the time, it felt like an irrational amount of Jimmy Butler PTSD from what we've seen from him last year in the playoffs, even though the Red, the, the Red Sox, I'm thinking about teams to come back from down 3-0. <laughs> even though the Celtics, you know, won, obviously, it took seven games and Butler was incredible in that series. Or going back to, obviously, the, the bubble series a few years ago during the height of COVID, there, there's just, there's so much evidence that would tell you the Heat can beat the Celtics. And it's not just they're coached by the the best coach in the NBA and Eric Spolstra or, you know, Pat Riley's the, the head of the snake and everything filters down or Jimmy Butler's not scared of anyone there. There are a lot of different things you could point to is just, you know, even without a Tyler hero, if they get hot from three, they can kill you. And unfortunately, sort of circling back to your your main question, the the Celtics we have through three games not even seen them play at their average. And that would tell you, like, if you're looking for a reason to be confident, that would tell you, like, hey, water's got to find its level at some point, doesn't it? Like, the Celtics mm -hmm. need to play like themselves for the better part of a game at some point, don't they? And, yeah, they do. Like, they may take game four. They may take four and five. But if you believe that they are going to do something that, has literally never been done in 149 chances in NBA history, which has come back from down 3-0 in a playoff series in a best of seven to win. Nothing that they have shown us throughout this series. I know people want to point back to game six against Philly and game seven against Philly, but nothing in this series 
against this team has shown us they are capable of doing that. You've been in sports media for a long time, and every time we talk about the NBA, we say the following thing. The NBA is a player's league. The NBA is a player's league. The NBA is a star-driven league. And we often will disparage, well, anybody could have won with those players, and the coaching doesn't really matter. So if it's a player's league and the coaching doesn't really matter, why is Joe Missoula getting bagged on so much today? Coaches are easy scapegoats. Uh, you know, and when you look at a guy who's 34 years old with no NBA head coaching experience coming into this year and very minimal experience on the bench as an assistant and prior to reaching the NBA ranks, it's not like he played in the league or even, you know, coached at a high level of college. Like Joe Missoula isn't Brad Stevens, who also had no NBA experience, not even as an assistant and didn't play in the league. But at least, you know, he coached many years in college basketball. He went to multiple national championship games with Butler. Ime Odoka had no NBA head coaching experience, but he played in the league for a decade. He was on the bench as an assistant for a decade. Joe Missoula isn't even really a combination of those two guys. He just sort of was thrust into a situation where he was, and I I do think is in NBA circles, a well-respected, viewed as a rising star in the league was, you know, interviewed for the job in Utah along with his at the time co-assistant Will Hardy, who obviously got the head coaching job, but, you know, viewed as a a, a guy that like, yeah, he can do it. He's going to be a good coach in this league. He's going to be a, you know, a Spolstra type. And let's remember like Eric Spolstra has been around for 20 years or whatever it's been. Eric Spolstra did not win a title in, in year one, uh, at least I don't think he did. I, I'm trying to remember back to, you know, Shaq and and Wade and what year that was as it related to Spolstra and all that. But, you know, it, it wasn't this immediate gratification for Eric Spolstra. He had to build toward it. You know, there were growing pains along the way for him to get to the point where he is at right now. And fair criticism would be, and I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, fair criticism would be saying, Joe, how do you not have these guys ready for this moment? You know, he kept saying post game, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. How do you not have these guys ready? But I say that and I also say this, and I feel more strongly about this. This team, different head coach, but this team reached the NBA Finals last year with largely the same core. Quite frankly, a slightly inferior core. You know, like Malcolm Brockton wasn't on that team. He, he was, a, and he's been abysmal the last couple of games, but he was a great addition. Sixth man of the year. That team reached the NBA finals and defecated all over itself. Did not show up the way it needed to against Golden State. Did they blow it or choke? I wouldn't call it a choke, but it was certainly a missed opportunity. It was a very winnable series against a Warriors team that I believe the Celtics were better than. And the players had all offseason to stew over that had all this season, the regular season to stew over that took too long against the Sixers to, to win took too long prior to that against the Hawks to win. Both cases took their competition a little too lightly. And I think walked into this Miami series and said, the road is paved for us. Like we're, we're good. We're going to reach the NBA finals. We're going up against Denver or LA and we're better than those teams too. This is our time. This is our year. And they were embarrassed in game one. Jalen Brown said post-game, we treated it like a regular season game. We played it too cool. Game two, they choked away. And game three, they were. it's like they didn't even get on the flight to Miami. Mm-hmm. They, they were never even in that game. 
And I don't understand to a man when you're just talking about pride, like Jalen said, post game, we got to come out in game four and play with pride to a man. I don't understand how last year isn't in your mind at all times right now. You need to go out and respond. You have something to prove. And in this playoff series, they've done that. And that is, they've not done that. And that is not on a coach to motivate you to remember what happened to you less than a year ago. That's on you as a professional athlete, as a, as a player. Joe Missoula is not out there not putting in the effort on rebounds. Joe Missoula is not out there making Al Horford and Jalen Brown miss every shot they take when they are wide open. Joe Missoula is not making Malcolm Brogdon or Tatum or Smart or Brown or whoever literally throw the ball to the other team like they're wearing your same jersey. <laughs> There's only so much you can put on Joe Missoula. You want to talk about certain in-game adjustments or lineup switches or rotations or, you know, why wasn't Grant a bigger part earlier? Or why did you not go away from the double big earlier? Or why is Derek White not on the floor versus Brogdon? Or why hasn't Hauser gotten a look? Like, there, Joe Missoula is not infallible. And Joe Missoula may very well lose his job after this season. Although I'm skeptical of that, maybe we'll get to that. But he's not the top of the blame pie for people who like to make those charts. It's the players. The players have blown this opportunity in a big, big way. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, Celtics Beat Podcast with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. You tweeted something very interesting yesterday during the postgame press conference. You're like, I want an unfiltered Jalen Brown right now, something to that effect. You know, I've gone back and forth with Jalen Brown. When the, the ringer piece came out a couple months ago, I thought Jalen Brown was going to want to leave. Like, if they didn't win the whole thing, I thought Jalen Brown was going to want to leave. Then we find out he's all NBA, he's Supermax eligible. I'm like, okay, well, now he's going to stay because no one's ever turned down the Supermax. Now I'm wondering if he's going to go into Brad Stevens' office and demand the sign and trade, you know, that we saw so prominently seven years ago or so. Where Mm -hmm. do you think Jalen Brown is at right now, and what do you think he's feeling right now? Because he certainly seems like the guy who's the most frustrated by the situation. They don't collectively seem like a group that believes in the coach, which is the only thing to me that could really cost Missoula his job. Because I do think Brad Stevens believes in him. I think ownership doesn't want to pay another head coach to go away again in back-to-back years. Uh, They, you know, they only just months ago took off the interim title and gave him the job and gave him a contract extension and maybe look bad for doing so before the end of the season after all this played out. Because if he didn't have that, if he was still the interim right now, makes it a lot easier, easier, obviously, to, to, you know, not even get rid of him, like just put him back as an assistant and let yep. him continue to grow in the league. If, you know, unless he had a head coaching opportunity elsewhere, but honestly, he probably wouldn't at this, you know, right now he would eventually, but not, you know, in this moment. So I think the group as a whole, it sort of feels like they've they've started to tune him out or or whatever, however you want to frame it. As it, relate, it relates to Jalen specifically, you know, I, I think he is chief among them. I, I just Jalen Brown does not seem like someone who believes in what they're doing right now. He doesn't seem like he believes in Joe Missoula. He doesn't seem like he believes in the way they're coming out and in playing in terms of game planning and strategies and philosophies he doesn't you know obviously they've gotten away from their identity of defense uh and and you know people want to say like well why have the players lost their defense only identity well joe missoula you know and and this is a reasonable second guessing question of missoula and it was along the way throughout the regular season he took that away from them you know they they you know switched to what has you know finally 
been termed Missoula ball uh, by, by some in the fan base where it's offense is going to drive our ship. Whereas last year, defense was their identity and it really wasn't at all throughout this year. And, you know, except maybe in spurts and obviously they turned it up defensively in game six and seven against Philly when they put Rob Williams back in the starting lineup. But generally speaking, they didn't lose their defensive identity. Like during this Miami series, they lost it the second Missoula took over because he decided to play a different style of basketball. And for a long time, it worked. And for the first third of the season, it was incredible. And nobody missed Imei Odoka, I <laughs> promised you. If you think back uh, to what was going on at the time when they got off to whatever, like a 21-5 and five start or something like that. Like, Missoula was, you know, he, he was he was God's gift. He was, you know, he, he was Nate from Ted Lasso. He was, he was <laughs> you know, the, the, the wonder kid, right? Um, you know, it just, they... So I, I think some of that goes back to Jalen. And then obviously you have all of the um, external issues that go beyond what happens on the floor. The fact that they have tried to trade him multiple times. The fact that, you know, obviously there are race issues in Boston uh, that he as a man, he is a business owner. He is a, 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 a person it is, you know, rightfully uncomfortable with. And only he can speak to that. You know, I can't, you can't. Uh, you know, we, we can't put ourselves in Jalen Brown's shoes or anybody else's for that matter. But Jalen, he, he does sort of seem like he is. If the Supermax were not a a thing, you know, if he wasn't staring down a an almost $300 million contract that he was eligible for this season, uh, this offseason, then, um, yeah, I mean, he, he might be looking to leave. And could he go into Brad Stevens' office, as you said, and demand the, the sign and trade? He could, and I, I'm just sort of at a point where nothing will surprise me with with this offseason and this team. You know, I, I would have been floored if they had traded Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant last offseason, you know, because it just, you're coming off the finals, you got a young core, it, you know, for as opposed to an, you know, aging superstar who's still elite but has an injury history. It didn't, to me, it didn't register. It didn't make sense at the time. But now you factor in, the new CBA and how much it's going to cost you to, to keep these guys and what kind of team you're actually capable of putting around them. I mean, Stevens and Zarin and ownership and, and all, you know, everybody involved in basketball ops, they may decide they want to move on from Jalen Brown, not because of Jalen Brown, but because of how you need to build a team going forward in this league. It just might make the most sense to deal him because he is a top 10 player by by all NBA standards. He is a top 10 player in this league right now who you can get something for. You know, you can get really good pieces for, whether it's high draft picks and players or a superstar player or whatever it is. You can move Jalen Brown and get pieces in return that will keep you in contending status. And I think they're going to think long and hard about that this, this offseason, especially if they go down in four games against Miami, because I, I don't know about you and I certainly don't know about basketball ops, but my confidence in this group has been severed uh, for, for this year. And my confidence in this core to some degree is deeply in question. Do you feel like you have to make a move? Like, do you feel like you can just run this back? We saw the Bruins last year think, Hey, we have a good team. It's time to move on from the coach. We need a different voice in the room. Is it time for the Celtics to do the opposite? Not blow it up entirely, but make a move that changes the dynamic. Well, keep in mind, too, the Bruins didn't, like, perfectly run it back. You know, they 
They brought in David Krejci, a legitimate second line center. I realize, you know, he sort of gets lumped in because he was a known commodity, but they didn't have him the previous year. You know, there were external additions, especially those that were added throughout the regular season when they were so good, uh, you know, whether it was Bertuzzi and Orlov and Hathaway and so on. Like they, you know, it, it wasn't just a, a blind, like, let's bring back the whole thing. And I, you know, maybe you're talking about that sort of in the same way with the Celtics. Like you're, you know, you're bringing back, Tatum Brown smart maybe even Rob Williams and around that everything else is in question and that would still be considered running it back because your larger more important core is is intact and that's yep. that's fair I just I guess if, if they go down I wouldn't have said this going into the series like I would have said if you know if they go down to the heat it's probably a you know a six or seven game series it's hard fought you know and so like whatever a, a good matchup you lost and that sucks. That's a disappointment. This would be a failure. You know, if like to go down this way, especially if it happens in four or five games where you're just in one of the next two games, if it even goes that far, you're completely lifeless. Like what we've seen throughout the large part of this series. I don't see how you can bring back the same core, even with a different coach, because that would be the fourth coach in four years. And the previous three generally didn't get anything different out of them. You know, like Brad Stevens, who I think was a very, very good head coach in the NBA and will be again if he just, if, if he so chooses. Uh, you know, I like they sort of went out with a whimper under him too. Ime Odoka, same deal. Joe Missoula, we're, we're, we're living it. So at a certain point in time, it's not the coach, it's the players. And I'm past that point. But for anyone that out there like that needs to be convinced, look at the last few years, look at the track record. You know, I, I, I don't see how you can not question the core. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, Celtics Speed Podcast. Adam, appreciate you uh, going a little long with us, but it was so good. I, uh, I wanted to keep asking you questions. So appreciate you making some time for us on this Monday. We'll watch game four. I frankly would rather watch Michael Block hole in one videos over and over for <laughs> three hours instead of game four but we'll be watching it and we'll catch up down the road i look forward to it absolutely always do adam kaufman wbz news radio in boston for my money he is the best when it comes to talking celtics and we've had a lot of them on right abby chin from nbc sports boston was on with us last year she was phenomenal she's great on tv scal's great eddie house is great perk is great for my money adam kaufman is the guy i enjoy talking celtics to the most there's a lot there there is a lot there to unpack. Texter says, great interview with Adam. A very informative talk that you two are having. Um, thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Thank, don't thank me. Thank Adam for saying yes for coming on. And thank Adam for knowing his stuff and so well and being so good. There's a lot to digest there. What I take away the most from that interview, I think, is what I said earlier. Adam Kaufman is more inclined to move on from players than he is to just run it back with all the same players and bring in a new coach. This team seems very, very fractured. And I don't think that you can just get that back. You know I'm a Seahawks fan, right? Now, the Seahawks are a little bit different because the Seahawks won a Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl in 2013. But in 2014... After the Malcolm Butler interception, that team really, really splintered, right? The defense felt like the head coach, 
made a mistake. The defense felt like the offensive coordinator made a mistake. The defensive guys, Richard Sherman namely, thought that Pete Carroll wanted Russell Wilson to throw it so that Russell Wilson could be the hero, and then he didn't hold Russell Wilson accountable for a bad throw, and that team fractured. It had a lot of really good players right on that team. Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, the Legion of Boom, and then and Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch and Doug Baldwin. That team was never the same. After that Super Bowl, that core was broken. Now, yes, they had one in the bag already, so it's a different situation, but it's not that different. We've seen where cores that are really good and really talented with strong personalities, they just break. They just break. And the Seahawks tried to keep it together, right? They tried to bring everybody back, and it was never the same, right? The voices got louder. The dissension got louder. The dislike of Russ got a little more pronounced. And the team would win. 11 games in 10 games in nine games and then it would just and then it just kind of wilted away and they'd win 10 again and they tried to eventually choose Pete and Russ and that didn't work until you see the breakup that they had with Russ before last season the core for the Celtics to me just seems broken and for the first time ever I am thinking now the right answer the best answer is to move off of a core, is to move off of this core. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to get done. I had somebody text in earlier in the show and ask about, Brady, can you explain a sign and trade? A sign and trade is complicated, and it's been made, it's been made more difficult in the last few years. I'll try to do this as quickly and as concisely as I can. A sign-and-trade is exactly what it sounds like, first and foremost. You sign a player, and then you immediately deal him, right? You sign a player, and then you immediately deal him. Okay. So, the Celtics can sign Jalen Brown to the most lucrative contract possible. In a sign-and-trade, Jalen Brown's not eligible for the most for the, for the biggest contract possible because he wouldn't be playing for the Celtics. Even if he signs with the Celtics... He's not eligible for the big Supermax contract. It's still good, but I think it's four years instead of five. It's just the way it works in the collective bargaining agreement. So there's really not motivation on Jalen Brown's part to want to be a part of a sign-and-trade, right? Like, if he can't get the money, the bigger money, he'd rather just be an unrestricted free agent and just go sign with the team rather than have a team get made worse, you know, by dealing away key pieces for him. So there's not real motivation for Jalen Brown. The team he's going to gets worse by trading things for him, and he doesn't get the big money. So that's not great. The acquiring team would obviously rather, hey, if we're going to pay him the same money, we'd like to just pay rather than give up a bunch of assets for him as well. So you're not getting a ton if you're the Celtics in a sign-and-trade. The Celtics can offer Jalen Brown the Supermax, but he doesn't have to accept it. And he can just become a free agent after next year, right? Like, he's not going to be a free agent this year. He's not going to be a free agent this year. He's still got one year left. The Celtics can say, hey, we'll run it back. The Celtics can say, hey, we'll trade you now, trade for one year. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe that's a good point, too. I had my timing a little off. 
He's not el he gets eligible to get the Supermax now. Celtics don't have to offer it now. The Celtics could just trade him with the one year left and go to a team and say, hey, that's the point. Yes, I was a little off in my timing. That kind of reshapes how I feel about this. Jalen Brown, one year left on his contract. If another team wants to go and give up something to have Jalen Brown for one year, I, I, I would be willing to do that. And, and I never was before. Now, are you going to get commiserate value for Jalen Brown? Probably not, but you're going to end up saving at some point $295 million. Uh, Texter says, perfect comparison of the Celtics to the Seahawks. When team chemistry is dissolved, it's time to make serious changes. Um, maybe the Celtics can get Damian Lillard for Jalen Brown. So this is interesting, and I have to do a little more research on this. In the NBA, contracts have to match up. You have to have almost even money switches. Damian Lillard, as I believe, has a bunch of years left on his contract. So for the one year, they're probably close to even. But in terms of total money left, I don't know if that matters because Lillard's is much more than Brown because Brown has one year left at whatever, and Lillard has several years left. Maybe it's just a one-to-one-year thing, and that might be true. So would I rather have Damian Lillard? Not really. Because Damian Lillard is older. Damian Lillard doesn't play a lot of defense. Damian Lillard has been hurt. And scoring hasn't been the Celtics' problem, right? Like, this is the other thing that gets hard, is that I don't know exactly who's out there that you could go get. But with one year left, if a team's willing to acquire Jalen Brown, I would be looking at it. As for the sign and trade, there's not really a whole lot in that for... Brown or for an acquiring team. It would be nice for the Celtics to get something for him, but again, you could just trade him now and get something for him. So it's it's confusing. I got myself a little confused there thinking about when the Supermax eligibility was in the end of the contract. I apologize for that. Jalen Brown has one year left on his deal. I would be willing to trade him with one year left on his deal to an acquiring team that wants to have Jalen Brown for one year left and I get something and free up money in the future. Because this core... I don't think can get over that trust. I just don't think they can get over that lack of trust or those issues. Thanks to Adam Kaufman for joining us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Um, I asked Adam this question. I'll answer it myself as well. The most disappointing part of all of this for me is just the lack of fight. Because I said all along, the only thing that can hamper the Celtics against the Heat is a lack of heart, a lack of focus, and a lack of effort. And that's what we've seen. We've seen this team commit turnovers, lack of focus. We've seen them lose shooters, lack of execution, lack of effort defensively. And we've seen them really not have a whole lot of punch in them beyond the first half of Game 1. Right now, Grant Williams had some fight in the second half of game two, but the whole team had fight first half game one. Grant Williams had fight game two. Beyond that, there hadn't been a whole lot of resistance to what Miami's trying to do. They have imposed their will, and that was the frustrating thing. On talent alone, Miami's not better than the Celtics. But it's not all about talent, and Miami's proving that, and they have just pummeled you in every way 
for the last two and a half games. You won first half game one. You look great. Since then, not really. A couple amazing stats out of this, by the way, I ran across today. The Heat had 44 regular season wins, which is 13 less wins than the Celtics had. They had 57. This is the Miami's 13 fewer wins are the most ever by a team to go up 3-0 in a best of seven series in NBA history. That's not history I want to be a part of. And Miami was the lowest scoring offense in the NBA this year. I don't know if people realize that. Miami was the lowest scoring offense in terms of points per game. Only two teams that ever in history were the lowest scoring offenses in the NBA and got to the finals. And it hasn't happened in 60 years. The 1964 Warriors were the fewest points per game and got to the finals. And the 1956 Pistons. That is how rare what is happening is. The Miami Heat are the lowest scoring offense in the league. They put up 128 on you in game three. They put up 120 plus in game one. Ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. And the Celtics have had no answers. I thought the Heat were going to walk the ball at the court and try to play 85-79 games because they couldn't score. No, they've been willing to play a track meet, and they have beaten you at every single part of this. It's the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Effecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Another question, a good question from a texter. We'll get to that. We'll come back. We'll also start to get you ready for the Red Sox. We're taking on the Angels coming up tonight at uh, 838 with the pregame show. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Go up until 7 o'clock, full show tonight, obviously, just a couple minutes left. Jazz with George Thomas, and he's on. he gets a taste of the abbreviated show world today. He's on until 8.38, yes, the random West Coast start time, 8.38 pregame show, 9.38 with the first pitch there uh, from Angel Stadium in Anaheim. I'll have the lineups for you, uh, at least for the Red Sox, here in just a couple of minutes. But a couple of good texts coming in here on the text line. Keep them coming, 802-585-3026. Texter says, Brady, you've been quite down and fairly accurate about the Celtics thus far today. But let me ask you this. Do you see any way they come back and win? No, I don't see any way they come back and win. They've been They've had their teeth kicked in and shown no resolve here. For two and a half games. So no, I don't think they'll win. I don't think they'll win four out of five. That said, I cannot call it impossible. Okay? I cannot call it impossible because we've seen these things happen before in sports. 3-0, you've come back in hockey. 3-0 has happened in baseball. It happened with the Red Sox. We've seen a 16 seed beat a one, not once, but twice. We've seen the Patriots come back from 28-3. to So I have seen crazy things happen in sports all the time. I just saw Michael Block get a hole-in-one playing with Rory McIlroy. So can it happen? Yes. Will it happen? I don't believe so. If you're looking for a path to believing it, look, you win this game on South Beach, maybe the Heat overlook you, take you a little too nonchalant, they think you're dead. Okay, you steal game four, no big deal. Now you're home for game five. 
Now you win that with your backs against the wall. And now maybe you get Miami to feel a little pressure, and you go back there and you try to win game six, and then you got game seven at home. I mean, there is your path. But no, I don't believe it's going to happen. The Celtics have played so poorly. And they they do appear to be fractured. And they do appear to be disconnected. And they don't appear to be all in either on Joe Missoula with each other or both. But if you're asking me to design the best possible outcome, I just did it. Steal game four, game five at home, game seven at home. Could you win a game six? Possible. Kyle in South Burlington says, how about trading both stars and rebooting? No. No. In the NBA, you long for one generational player. You long for one all-NBA player. The Celtics have two. Getting rid of one of them would seem sacrilege. They just might have to. But in the NBA, if you blow it all up, it takes you a really long time. Okay, It takes you a really long time in the NBA to find homegrown players again. It's not going to happen. Okay, In the NBA, we're all rooting for a homegrown core. Celtics have it. They haven't capitalized on it yet, but you don't blow it all up. You just don't. Okay, you can you can move on from Horford when it becomes appropriate. You can move on from Brogdon when it becomes appropriate. But as far as moving on from both Tatum and Brown, that's not happening. Tatum, to me, he's going to stay. He's going to be in Boston for a lot of his career. He's going to sign the supermax deal and that, after next season, and that's going to be that. He's not going anywhere. Jalen Brown is the guy who would go somewhere. I mean, look, you saw what Oklahoma City did, right? They they blew up the Durant-Westbrook core. And look, they got a lot of draft picks now, and they seem exciting, but it's going to end up having been like six, seven years before they're even relevant. Okay? Look at Brooklyn. Brooklyn tried with Durant and with, with Kyrie. They're going to be, I'm not saying irrelevant, but it's going to be really hard for them with no draft picks to get back into the mix. I do not want that to be the Celtics. Absolutely not do I want that to be the Boston Celtics. Um, okay, 802-585-3026. Yeah, Texter says that frees a half billion dollars if you get rid of them. Don't care. You got to pay somebody in the NBA. You got to pay somebody. Um all right, Red Sox lineups. Sox are 26 and 21. The Angels are 25 and 23. Both teams right now are in the mix for a playoff spot as we get near the 50 game mark, which is the one third mark of the season. Angels don't have their lineup out yet, but we know that Jaime Berea is the starting pitcher. He's 1-1 one one with a 1.96. Tanner Houck pitches for the Red Sox, 3-3 three three with a 5.48. Alex Verdugo leads off in right, hitting 296, 5 homers, 19 ribbies. Masataka Yoshida is in left, hitting 303, 6 homers, 28 ribbies. Justin Turner's the DH. That's good he's back in the lineup after leaving the lineup the other day. Remember, he uh, left on... I think it was Friday night with that leg tightness. He's back hitting 279. Devers is in third, hitting 253 with the 13 homers, and he's second in the majors and RBIs at 44. 
Jaron Duran's hitting 330. He bats fifth. Tristan Costas is at 180. He's trying to claw his way to the Mendoza line. He plays first and hits sixth. And Manuel Valdez had the big homer the other night on Saturday. He's at second base and bats seventh. Pablo Reyes is at shortstop. He bats eighth. No Kike Hernandez today. Connor Wong is the catcher. He bats ninth. He's got the four home runs and 11 RBIs. For the Angels, here's what we know. We don't know what the lineup is. I know that Otani's going to be in it. I know Trout's going to be in it. And I know Hunter Renfro is likely to be in it. And he's having a very good year as well. The Angels have some power. They don't have the depth offensively that the Red Sox have. But we will see what happens. Remember, we saw the Angels earlier this year. And the Red Sox won that series. So we'll see what happens this time around. Want to remind everybody about Saturday, 11-1. to 1, Nelson Ace Hardware in Barrie. That's where we are going to be for the Stars and Stripes barbecue party, tasty treats, grill samples. Come hang out Memorial Day weekend, Saturday, April, uh, May 27th, 11 until 1. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. He's on from 7 until 8.38. I'll love to see how he plans the timing on these songs to get him to end right at 8.38. But that's why he's the pro, and that's why I'm on my way out. I'll see you tomorrow. All 90 minutes, everybody will be up again until 7 o'clock. During the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV AM and FM.